Have you ever felt a twinge of worry about AI taking over your job or diluting your creativity? Well, what if you could turn that fear into creative fuel? We've just published an amazing new ebook called The Four Keys to Success in an AI World. And this is more than just a guide. It's a deep exploration into the human skills that AI can't touch. The skills that are essential for standing out and thriving, no matter how much technology evolved. We're talking about real differentiators here like creativity, emotional intelligence, critical thinking, and much more. Inside, you'll find actionable insights and strategies to develop these skills, whether you're a creative person, a business person, or just simply someone who loves personal development. This isn't a story about tech taking over. It's a story of human creativity thriving alongside AI. Picture this, AI as your creative co-pilot, not just as a tool, but a collaborator that enhances your unique human skills. The Four Keys ebook will show you exactly how to do that and view AI in a new way that empowers you instead of overshadows you. Transform your creative potential today. Head over to unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys. Use the number four, K-E-Y-S. That's unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys and download your free copy. We did research. We did focus groups with top women, with our GMs. And what we found from the women was that when they played and competed at the highest levels, all of our players wear headsets. I mean, if you're going to play at at an elite level, you have to have a headset and communicate with your teammates. And what happened was as soon as they kind of identified as a woman with a woman's voice, they got passed the ball less. You know, they, they were harassed at times. It was, it was a kind of a toxic environment for them. And so they were getting passed the ball less often than, um, than, than, than other, their, male, their male counterparts. And so as a result, if, if we're evaluating statistics, of course their statistics are going to be, are going to be less if, you know, if they're not getting as many opportunities. And so, um, so we then in season two, you know, we worked with our analytics company to start um, analyzing players, how effective they were when they actually got the ball. I'm Srini Rao, and this is the Unmistakable Creative Podcast, where you get a window into the stories and insights of the most innovative and creative minds who've started movements, built thriving businesses, written best-selling books, and created insanely interesting art. For more, check out our 500-episode archive at unmistakablecreative.com. Doing creative work can be kind of lonely, and that's why we built the Unmistakable Listener Tribe. The tribe is a community for professionals to connect and support each other. Everything is designed to help you grow your business and share what's working and what isn't. And that's true whether you're a business owner or an artist. You'll get access to feedback, live conversations with guests, and so much more. By joining the tribe, you become part of a community of creators who all support each other, and it's completely free. Hopefully, I'll see you there. Visit unmistakablecreative.com slash tribe to join. Again, that's unmistakablecreative.com slash tribe. Brennan, welcome to the Unmistakable Creative. Thanks so much for taking the time to join us. Of course, Serini. Great to meet you, and I'm excited to chat. I am absolutely thrilled to have you here. So I actually found out about you by way of our former guest, Scott, uh, who was the CEO of the Philadelphia 76ers. And when he told me that you're the commissioner of the NBA 2K League, I thought, yes, I absolutely have to talk to him. I play this damn game every single day and my roommate is kicking my ass. So maybe you can help me solve that problem. Uh, But all joking aside, before we get into what you do, uh, I want to start by asking, what did your parents do for work and how did that end up shaping uh, the choices that you've made throughout your life and your career? Wow, great question. Um, so 
two very different paths. So um, my father was the CFO of a hospital at a very young age. Um, I think in his late 20s, he was the CFO of a hospital in Long Island, New York. Um, and I can remember him taking me to work sometimes. And I was always blown away at just how he just knew everybody. I mean, from, you know, walking in the back entrance, he knew the maintenance staff, he knew the CEO, he knew, he just knew everybody and he was just friendly with everyone. And that always stuck out. That just stuck out to me as a pretty cool trait. Um, so that was my dad and, and he, I'll get into kind of, uh, I'll connect the dots between him and my mom in a second, but my mom, um, so I am the youngest of six kids, um, you know, from, you know, we all grew up, I grew up in Long Island, like I said, and my mom actually was a nurse, went to nursing school. And then essentially when she had my oldest brother stopped and she, you know, she were, she was a mom for, you know, uh, you know, roughly 16 years, she was focused on raising her family and being a mom and an incredible one, like, you know, with, with homework and everything else, she was always kind of super, super attentive. And then when I went to kindergarten, she actually went back to uh, being a nurse and doing, um, you know, working for a, a home care agency as a nurse. And then, you know, she was putting in so many hours. Um, when I was a freshman, sophomore in high school, so, uh, you know, fast forward, that's about 10 years or so from when she started going back to work. Her and my sisters, you know, decided like, listen, why don't you start your own home care agency? And so my mom did just that. And my dad actually helped her. He, um, you know, he was at a different hospital in Connecticut. Um, unfortunately, um, you know, his job didn't work out. And so he ended up becoming the CFO of my mom's home care agency. Um, and so, I mean, talk about a remarkable, like, you know, I, I'm obviously my dad was an incredible executive and my mom, you know, to, to watch her go from, you know, totally like committed to being a mom and, and raising kids, six kids at that. And then, uh, and then starting your own business and being an incredibly successful executive, um, and I will say like a really good business leader for someone who had very little practical business experience. Uh, but, you know, just seeing her build relationships and, you know, and just hustle and lead by example, uh, you know, and, and I will say being an incredibly strong example of a woman in business, I, I will say I mean, it was a pretty, pretty powerful uh, kind of foundation I was given. Yeah. Wow. Uh, so I, I have to ask about, you know, six kids. Uh, what did growing up in such a big family teach you about navigating relationships, human behavior, uh, and that of morbid curiosity, what's the age gap and which sibling are you closest to and why? Yeah. So there's 11 years between the oldest and youngest. Um, we're the Brady bunch. So there's three boys and three girls. <laughs> um, I'm the youngest, I guess I'm Bobby. Um, but, uh, and, and uh, so as far as closeness, I think I'm probably closest to my second oldest brother. Uh, just, and, and I, I, you know, just we were kind of similar in terms of, you know, our competitiveness and, and just, you know, our drive probably. Um, and then uh, your other question was about just kind of interacting in relationships. Um, yeah, I mean, a family of six is massive. I mean, I, you know, I only have one sibling, so I, I always wonder this about people who have huge families. Well, ma massive family, but like I would say, like tight head, tight quarters. I mean, you know, we, we were, uh, you know, we had all, all the kids shared one bathroom, and uh, you know, there was all the boys were in one bedroom, and my two, my three sisters shared two two other bedrooms, so it was tight. I I, sl I slept in a, one of those like you know beds that had a it was a pull out a pull out drawer that I slept in. 
Um, but, uh, you know, I think the biggest thing I learned, um, and this is something I almost had to unlearn was how we communicated. Like, you know, in that big of a family communication was, it was, it was so passionate and like interactive. And like, if you didn't lean in, you weren't hurt. And mm-hmm. so, uh, you know, really kind of like, you know, we, and we would also just the way we were set up kind of family wise, how we interacted and communicated with each other, we would have just brawls and like, you know, and we'd be very uh, argumentative and passionate, but then like, you know, it was, it, you know, it melted away. The second you were done with it, it was, it was over and it, you were back to being family. And so I actually probably had to adjust a little bit in how I communicated to people who might've grown up in normal households that didn't have that where, you know, uh, I could, I could, you know, uh, get after it and like, you know, banter with somebody. And then just like two seconds later, I was fine. Like I didn't, I didn't mind if they had kind of come at me a little bit hard. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, you know, in, in normal society, I guess I had to make that adjustment. Yeah. Well, so, you know, it, it's funny, you mentioned your mother going from being a, a mother of six kids to, you know, starting a business to becoming an executive. And there's this quote that immediately came to my mind when you uh, said that. Have you ever seen the the TV show Brothers and Sisters with Sally Field? No, uh, and I'm an avid okay. content content uh, consumer, so no, I'm, I'm bummed. Okay, so there, there's this quote where she, you know, the, the you know, not to ruin it for anybody, but you know, she ends up, you know, losing her husband at the very beginning of of the series, and she goes in to pitch some investors uh, on a business idea for some sort of center that she wants to open. And, uh, you know, they basically question her lack of experience. And so she goes out to dinner with one of the investors who only agrees to meet her because of her, her ex, you know, her, her husband who had passed away, who had built this very successful business. And he basically questions her experience. And in response, she says, I organized the schedules of five extremely well-rounded children. I ran carpools, bake sales, and bluebird groups. I negotiated, coddled, and mandated all at the same time, not to mention what I had to do for my husband to keep him happy and productive. And I did all of this without taking a sick day. The problem is no one values the experience of a stay-at-home parent, which is truly ashamed because running this big enterprise, as you put it, would be a day at the beach for me. (laughs) <laughs> and so I, I, and I love that. That's probably my favorite moment in the show. And what I wanted to ask you is what does it take for somebody to build that within themselves, that level of sort of conviction and resourcefulness? Hmm. I, I think, um, my guess is that, you know, my parents came from, I would argue what is one of the coolest generations of parents you know, in, in, in one of the coolest ones in history in terms of, you know, for them, all of all of my grandparents came over from Ireland, uh, you know, kind of came to the U.S. and really started their lives and like didn't have much to work with. And they just made it happen. And so I think that generation, at least for me, you know, I mean, and there's obviously been books written about that generation, but I think they all installed this this sense of, you know, just get it done. I don't want to hear your excuses. And so mm-hmm. I, th- I think, you know, my mom had that installed in her by her parents and just seeing them operate. Um, and so I, I, I think that was a big piece of it. Um, and listen, I, I don't know what it, you know, when or, or how it was installed in her, but she just had this, you know, she had an incredible work ethic. Um, you know, I guess I would, I, to use a sports analogy, both on and off the court. I mean, she was, she went a hundred percent plus at work, but then also she didn't come home and like, you know, 
complain, oh, I worked all day. Like, you know, you got to take care of this. She was at all my basketball games. You know, she was always present. She was, you know, pushing me to work hard on my studies. You know, it was, um, and my dad did too. My dad was also, you know, and I would say like probably to his credit, he was a probably more balanced executive than I might be now um, in terms of like, he left the office at five o'clock and, and he was home and we would be playing catch or, you know, uh, or playing basketball together. And, and he really did a good job of, uh, of being present as a dad while also being an executive. Mm, wow. So you mentioned uh, playing basketball. It's funny because I have mentioned this on the show before. I played basketball for two seasons in seventh and eighth grade. In seventh grade, I was the most improved player, which just meant I was the shittiest player on the team, uh, <laughs> which is not apparently the case in the NBA. When somebody is the most improved player, they're like badass. I believe at one point Jimmy Butler was. Um, but what I'm curious about it is what piqued your interest in sports and, and how old were you when you started playing basketball? Oh, I was a sports nut from the very beginning. And that's where I I had two older brothers and my dad. They were all sports nuts. I and mean, we were going to Mets, Islanders, Knicks. You know, we were, we, it was a year round obsession. We were, it was just whatever season it was. That's what sport we were following. So yeah, early on, I was a kind of traditional football in the fall, basketball in the winter, baseball in the spring from, you know, through eighth grade. And then I just got mm-hmm. focused on basketball because it was probably the one I was, I was, I was best at. Um, so yeah, that was, I was obsessed with it. And I was like, you know, they, my family makes fun of me. Like I was like an 80 year old man when I, I would wake up in the morning and I'd walk out in the driveway, get the, get the newspaper, you know, daily news, or whatever, whatever we were getting delivered. And I read the sports section cover to cover uh, while eating my cereal. Like that was what I did from like, and literally probably from like six or seven. Like it was bizarre. Wow. Um, and I, I also like, I mean, again, to make myself sound like a nerd, like I would read like the world, the, the sports, sports mm-hmm. almanac. And like, I was always obsessed with statistics and, um, and just the history of sports. So it was, all, I don't know. I don't know what, I mean, I guess just, I was just my, maybe my intellectual curiosity pushed me in that direction, but I was always super engaged with sports. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive & June. Olive & June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive in June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive in June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. 
Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. As creators, we're always on the move. Whether it's a live podcast event, a pop-up shop, or a workshop, we're constantly interacting with community, and that's where Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe comes in. Imagine this. You're at a live event, a listener loves your merch, or a participant wants to sign up for your course on the spot. With Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, you can accept their payments right there and then, right from your iPhone so there's no extra hardware or no delays. Total game changer. It's not just for creators. Any business owner can do this. It's about making transactions smoother and much more personal, growing your business in your way. We've been using Stripe for our products and courses for a long time, and now with Tap to Pay on iPhone, you can take your business to the next level too. So visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone to learn more. Remember folks, with Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, your business is always at your fingertips. Yeah. Well, so as somebody who didn't continue playing sports in high school, uh, which to this day, I think is one of my regrets, because I feel like every single person I've ever talked to who was a athlete on a team in high school swears by the benefits of it, regardless of whether it led anywhere or not. For parents who are listening, and particularly for parents who are stuck with kids like me who are athletically inept, what would you say to them about encouraging their kids to play sports? Well, okay. So I'll say this as a, as a person now who oversees an esports league, I would say I would encourage them to compete. Um, Cause I can tell you, you know, you know, somewhat more personal to me is, you know, I have a son who has special needs. Um, and so he wasn't able to compete on the athletic field for a, quite a while. And now he actually, he does now swim for his high school. And it was the first time he'd ever been on a sports team. And so, uh, it, it definitely, you know, I, I love watching him be a part of a team and it's incredible. And so, um, but I, I mean, for, for him and I, you know, you know, our equivalent of like my dad taking me to, to, you know, to, to see a Mets game and sit there and talk about like what was going on at life and school and, and having that kind of uninterrupted time together. Our equivalent was when, when he turned five, I think it was five and he's now 15 to put it in perspective. Um, when he turned five, my wife got us gaming chairs. And so <laughs> if you came to our house on a weekend, you would see us playing, you know, playing games in many cases together, you know, uh, you know, kind of playing a game at the same time or playing 2K or playing one of, one of his kind of uh, more action games we play together. And to this day, you know, we still play 2K and oftentimes at night we'll play Fortnite together. Um, you know, so it's, it's uh, for us, that was our equivalent. And so, and so, mm. And he learned competing, I think, a lot through 
through gaming actually. And so, uh, you know, I do think you know, gaming is a is a great equalizer for you know if you don't necessarily have all the physical tools to compete on a on an on an athletic field, you know, your whole life. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I, I want to go deeper into that because I think that we have sort of two narratives around video games, right? It's kind of like, oh, video games make kids lazy and inept. And, you know, you hear things like, oh, Grand Theft Auto causes violence, which I personally, I don't believe any of that to be true. But I, of course, am biased because I've been playing video games, I think, as, as far as I can remember from the original Nintendo, which I'm curious about. How old were you when you started playing video games? Um, I was an Atari kid. So, uh, okay. I would say probably first grade and and my oldest brother, that was where he and I were super tight that way. Like we were the two gamers in the house. Um, My middle brother didn't play uh, video games at all. He never got into it, but um, that was our thing. And so, yeah, I was, I was an early, uh, an early adopter to, to video games. Yeah. Well, so I think that one of the things I wonder, yeah, and I've asked, a couple of different people this um we had this guy jeff harry here who talked about the importance of play and you, you as the commissioner of the 2k league obviously clearly probably think there are positive benefits to video games so what are they i mean because you've probably been able to see this over a long stretch of time and have a bigger sample size than the average person well i, I think that i mean listen, I, if, if you asked me this question and in my mindset you know when i first started playing video games what 1980 or so um, it's just so different now because I mean, video, your video game experience now compared to when I started playing video games, when I started playing video games, you were in your room, you were by yourself, you were playing against AI, you know, to where fast forward to now it, it's very communal. I, I mean, you know, when my son's playing, you know, if we're playing Fortnite, like for a great examples. So we, we play Fortnite at times, like, he and I will play and my, my college roommate and his son, we will team up at nighttime after we eat dinner and like, we'll play squads. We'll be the four of us against, you know, 24 other teams playing, you know, against us and competing against us in Fortnite. Like it's actually a pretty cool connectivity piece. I mean, and and so I, you know, I, I think, you know, if in the, if, if, if in the wrong hands, you know, you know, un, unwatched, Sure, you can go down, you know, you know, you can get too into it and you need some balance. And, and, we, and we definitely encourage that. Listen, my, my son is super active. He works out, he swims, you know, he's, he's very active. And so we try to limit the number of hours he, he's playing games. But I mean, I, I actually think it's a very, um, it allows, it has a sense of community much more so than gaming did when we were growing up. Yeah, I mean, I, I live with the roommate I live with now because of NBA 2K. Like, that's great. It's kind of hilarious that that's how we ended up living together. But um, well, let's, let's talk about the trajectory of, of your career. So where I want to start is, uh, you know, with six siblings, I always wonder how the career advice that you get from your parents differs from sibling to sibling, because I feel like basically every person that comes before you is is an experiment. And then the parent fixes the mistakes they make on the previous one on the next one. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a great point. And, and so I go going back to my generational, you know, kind of theory earlier, I do think that my parents were much more in the camp of you're smart enough, go be a lawyer, like go get a good job. And, and so you can provide for your family and, and put your kids through school. And so that was their mindset. And so I, I do think that I've spent a lot of my years, you know, as I was starting my career and going through college and then early in my career, really 
breaking the mold of what they thought was possible and really what they thought was normal. And so, you know, I think I did, I, I was just always very independent by nature. And so I was determined to make, you know, my career, something I was passionate about and following my heart, which was, I wanted to be in sports. I wanted to be connected to sports in some way. And so, you know, when I was in high school, you know, I mentioned my obsession with sports and consuming sports media. And I lived in New York at a time when sports radio became a huge medium. And I, I was, I was listening to Mike and the Mad Dog and, 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 and that kind of you know, WFAN in New York. And that, you know, at that point was more of a, a local station. Um, and so my, my total dream going at sports was I wanted to be on sports radio. And I wanted to be, you know, and that was my, that was my goal. It was, was my dream. And that was my first job in sports was, um, I mean, outside of like, you know, writings for, for, you know, yearbooks and, and local papers on sports. But when I was, when I was in college, I did an internship for sports radio, WEEI in Boston, uh, which was the sports, it was the equivalent of WFAN in Boston. And so I got a job, you know, I, I begged my way into that job. Uh, one of, one of a guy I knew at, at Boston college, was working there um, on the production side. And I, I basically told him that whatever I need to do, I will work for free, just get me in. And so my junior ju- junior and senior year of college, I got a job with them. Um, and I will tell you, probably one of the worst jobs in sports was my job was to sc- screen the calls coming in. So I, I, would answer the, I would answer incoming calls. I would kind of find out what somebody wanted to talk about. And then I would send them on to talk to the host. And it was the worst job because you had like a sentence of like, hey, I want to talk about, you know, um, you know, Barry Bonds. And then you sent that person through and then they would get they'd get nervous. They'd start stuttering. And then the host would get mad at you for putting them through. So it was it was a very, very tough job. Um, But that's what led me into sports, though. Mm, wow. So, I mean, like, I, I was just looking at your, your LinkedIn profile. I mean, you have this sort of, you know, interesting trajectory of, of, you know, being in charge of ticket sales going all the way to uh, team operations. So numerous things. So, so first thing, one, what are the lessons that you have taken from, you know, working in the actual NBA that you've applied to 2K? Um, and how is it that a video game has had this much of an impact on our culture? And then, then I want to talk about specifically esports, like what actually goes into building an esports team and, and how you, know, you actually run a league. Like what, how does it differ from being, for example, David Stern or Adam Silver, like <laughs> your job? Sure. So, um, I, mean, I mean, the 2K league offices are essentially inside the NBA office. So it's still, I mean, it's still very much a part of the NBA. Um, But what I think, and to his credit, what Adam Silver encouraged me to do was to to be nimble, to act like a startup. And and so I think, um, you know, even though we we, we are inside the kind of the, the, the mothership of the NBA and we have a ton of influence and a ton of resources from the NBA, I think, you know, what was important for us and for me to make sure I did early on was I had to make sure we were very operational and we were very kind of like nimble and quick to make, quick to make adjustments and much more, uh, much more nimble and risky, frankly, than the NBA could ever be. Mm-hmm. So, so I think that was a, that was a really early on. I knew we, we had to be that way because just to be functional, you know um, you know, we only had eight people running the entire operation the first season. Um, wow. So, yeah, yeah. So it was a, 
it was a small operation. It's, and, um, and now we're, you know, you know, more than double that size, but it's, it's, um, so yeah, I mean, so that's on the NBA side, as far as what I've learned, I think just learning the value of leadership, um, and then the value, and because we're a smaller group, the importance of instilling confidence in your team and, Letting you know, removing obstacles, letting them do their thing, and then getting out of their way. Because frankly, we had so much to do with such a small group that I never could have been effective if I was trying to hold everyone's hand. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm lip fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. 
As creators, we're always on the move. Whether it's a live podcast event, a pop-up shop, or a workshop, we're constantly interacting with community, and that's where Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe comes in. Imagine this. You're at a live event, a listener loves your merch, or a participant wants to sign up for your course on the spot. With Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, you can accept their payments right there and then, right from your iPhone so there's no extra hardware or no delays. Total game changer. It's not just for creators. Any business owner can do this. It's about making transactions smoother and much more personal, growing your business in your way. We've been using Stripe for our products and courses for a long time, and now with Tap to Pay on iPhone, you can take your business to the next level too. So visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone to learn more. Remember folks, with Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, your business is always at your fingertips. Yeah. So what does the actual business model of the 2K League look like? And, and, you know, how does it compare? Because I'm guessing, you know, unlike sort of, you know, the, the traditional NBA, it's not, you know, a bunch of uh, college students being recruited to play college ball and then being drafted to the NBA, right? So what does the business model look like? like how do you guys make money? So it, 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 that isn't very, that is not too dissimilar from the traditional sports model. So it's media rights, it's sponsorship, it's retail, uh, merchandise, um, you know, so, uh, and, you know, and, and then eventually it'll, it'll be t- more ticket sales. I mean, we, you know, we were kind of steering in that direction uh, last season, but unfortunately COVID didn't allow for it. So, um, but, but ticket sales is definitely a, a possible revenue stream. Um, mm-hmm. So on the business side, it's actually not too dissimilar from kind of the, the NBA and its affiliate leagues. Um, okay. where, where it's tricky is we, we at the center, we do essentially the recruiting and the identif- player identification for the teams. And so, for example, you know, the first season we opened up tryouts and we had 72,000 people try out. <laughs> Holy crap. Yeah. I mean, so you had 72,000 people trying out for 102 spots. And so, uh, you know, to their credit, 2K um, de- developed what we call the Combine, which was a, a, a kind of standalone mode in the game, um, that, you know, allowed players to go in and play five on five. And so uh, and kept everybody on an even playing field. Like you mentioned, like trying to build teams and make it make it fair. We actually have, you know, where every player was a 90 rated player. And, you know, they could go in and compete against, you know, other 72,000 people. And so um, we, you know, and again, as far as our resources being limited, what we did was we hired a third party company to essentially build an algorithm that would evaluate players. And and we were we were evaluating, you know, 60 different plus stats across every single player in every single game. Um, I mean, literally millions of data points. And so things down, I mean, and it was much, much deeper than points, rebounds and assists. I mean, we were evaluating, you know, telemetry data and, you know, how, how good was, you know, how perfect is their jump shot? How good is their release point versus perfect? Um, You know, their, their defensive efficiency, their offensive efficiency, like, you know, the, the, uh, how often did they, you know, did they go for a steal and put themselves out of position? Like it's a pretty amazing amount of data we were we're capturing and still capturing, and so um, all of that kind of rolled into you know we identified about 250 players and then narrowed that down to 102 on draft day. And so our, our first season, we actually declared the 102 players and the teams drafted them, 
Um, now we've actually, we, we've evolved our system every year. Uh, this past season we had, I, think, I believe it was 285 players um, that were eligible for the draft to be, to be drafted. And we had roughly, I think, uh, you know, about 60 some odd spots uh, that we, that were drafted um, on top of the current players who are on rosters. Um, so, uh, so yeah, it's so, and, and, and also uh, to the player identification point, we've also added other elements to our player ID process, such as, you know, we, we now have tryouts in London. We've had a tryout in Hong Kong, in Seoul, Korea. Um, you know, and so we've gone and done tryouts in other countries to identify players around the world. Because, you know, if you are, if you're in Australia, you know, trying to compete against North American players, your, your connect, your connection is a huge disadvantage. Mm. Um, so we had to find we had to find we had to find great players and actually invite them, uh, you know, to tryouts, you know, physically um, or remotely in different regions. Um, wow. So so that we were able to identify great players around the world. And so the end result is now we have ten international international players on our team rosters. Um, and, you know, including this year we had our first from Spain, our first from Australia. Um, so you know we were identifying international players. And the other player diversity piece, which is a really interesting story, is is on, on with with getting women in the game uh, uh, and wow. finding women. Because what was amazing was our first season. Um, you know, we had the seventy two thousand players try out. We got down to the final two fifty, and we only had one woman. And and that woman unfortunately did not go from the two fifty down to the one hundred two. She was eliminated in that process. Um, but it, we immediately said, okay, well, why, why is that? Like, well, you know, we, you know, there's no reason why a woman can't compete in 2K. Um, why would we not have any women in the league? And so we, we immediately began, we began our women in gaming initiative. And so um, we, did, we did research, we did focus groups with top women, with our GMs. And what we found from the women was that when they played and competed at the highest levels, all of our players wear headsets. I mean, if you're going to play at at an elite level, you have to have a headset and communicate with your teammates. And what happened was as soon as they kind of identified as a woman with a woman's voice, they got passed the ball less. They they were harassed at times. It was, it was a kind of a toxic environment for them. And so they were getting passed the ball less often than, um, than, than, than other, their male, their male counterparts. And so as a result, if, if we're evaluating statistics, of course, their statistics are going to be are going to be less if, if you know if they're not getting as many opportunities, and so um, so we then in season two, you know, we worked with our analytics company to start um, analyzing players how effective they were when they had when they actually got the ball, and so mm-hmm. and so it, it totally changed the dynamic of our analysis. We ended up with uh, you know with um, a, a couple women in our draft pool. We we had our first woman actually drafted by. Uh, uh, by by you know the Golden State Warriors and Warriors Gaming Squad, um, and so we, we kind of broke that barrier in season two. But our our work was far from done. Like we still had a lot of work to do. And so uh, in season three, we had four women in the draft pool, and none of them got drafted. And so that that immediately was like, okay, there, there's something broken here. Like we're not we're doing we're not doing something right. We're not good enough. And so um, this past year, this past off season. Our women's and women in gaming initiative, you know, what we found out from GMs and coaches was they weren't playing against the top level players. There wasn't enough of a, uh, you know, um, uh, you know, enough 
information or examples of seeing them compete against the top players in the world. So we actually, you know, we had, our Women in Gaming Initiative became a much more robust process. It was we actually went out and we um, we helped identify and, and helped create two top women pro am teams. So two five on five teams that we you know we helped. They entered into the top tournaments. They were competing at the highest levels. Uh, we so we did that, and then secondarily we set up these remote gameplay sessions where we had you know the known best women players in the two K scene competing with uh with our some of our top 2k league pros um the, you know coaches and gms came in and watched uh, we had we had a couple of former uh a former 2k league players pros uh coaching the teams um and so that was kind of the second step and then the third step which we've now done two of them two two sec two consecutive years is we created a women in gaming development camp where we had the top 20 women players that were known in the 2K league scene, 2K scene. Uh, we had, you know, WN, WNBA players come talk to them. We had top, top esports uh, pros, uh, top influencers kind of talk to them about how to navigate, you know, social media and streaming. And then we had them gameplay a ton against each other and also with 2K league pros. And so all of those kind of steps now this past year, um, you know, we had a, we know uh, we had, uh, I believe it was nine or 10, I think it was 10 women we had in the draft pool and we had two women drafted this, this year. And so now we have two women currently in the league. Um, and so as I will say, like we still have plenty of work to do and we're not checking the box by any stretch of the imagination. But what our goal is really is to just one, get the best players in the world. And we think a diverse pool is just a, is a stronger pool. Um, but then it's number two is we're trying to, normalize women in the 2k league scene and so it, it you know certainly we want women players but if you watch our broadcast we have several women on our on our broadcast team you know if you look at our our executive team you know some of our top executives of the league are, are women and so we're just trying to normalize women in the 2k league scene more broadly and i think we have taken significant steps in the right direction but we still have a lot of work to do yeah. Well, it's so it's funny. Uh, I wanted to ask you about sort of the skill development aspect of this, because you know, my roommate, when he gets on these winning streaks, jokingly, you know, declares himself as the NBA God. And I was like, yeah, you want to see how good you are? Go play a teenager online. Then we'll find out how good you really are. Uh, but, you know, I remember talking to a friend of mine and as I was joking with you before we, we hit record that, you know, I, I, if I ever had a few money, the first thing I would do was buy an NBA basketball team. And one of my friends said, you could potentially buy an esports team. He said that's probably more realistic and probably where we're headed next, anyways. So, for the esports athletes, like what goes into you know their own skill development? Because I doubt it's sort of the way that my roommate and I play. My guess is they're probably very like they probably have what you know Anders Ericsson would have called deliberate practice. Like they're probably doing things to improve. Totally, and, and I will say, I mean that that's kind of also that you know one is they just play a lot. They they get they 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 do have an, a unique skill set. They generally speaking have an incredibly high basketball IQ, um, and so they begin to compete at the highest levels. And you know and, and you know how it is. I mean, first you start by being the best player you know on your block, then your school, then your area. Like you just start competing more and more at higher levels, and so that scene kind of organically happens also. Um, but I, I I will say as far as esports goes. I think we're at the early stages of what the right training is for an esports athlete because 
I actually think it's, and we're, we're starting to see it more developed, but I, I think this notion of like, just put in the hours and become a master and like just grind and grind and grind. And that's, what's going to make you great. I think that's old school. I mean, it's kind of an archaic perspective. Like, I mean, you have to think that, you know, um, you know, we encourage our players, like they work, many of them work out together and physically are physically fit. You know, their nutrition is a consideration. Certainly your eyesight, your eyesight and your hands are, you know, it's, it's, you know, are as important as anything. Like, you know, it's the equivalent of like jumping ability and speed for, you know, an NBA player. Um, mm-hmm. so I think it's, I think we're at the early stages um, of really what truly good professional skill development is in esports. Um, and I will say it's interesting is so the only non NBA owned team in our league are, you know, so we had, we sold our first franchise outside of the NBA family last year to the Genji Tigers of Shanghai. Uh, and Genji, wow. ha- Genji has, you know, uh, and the, this number has probably changed now, but th- at the time they had, you know, they had 11 different esports teams across seven different games. And what, what they were, and one of the reasons we actually decided to partner with them and actually have them buy a franchise is they were, you know, somewhat tip of the spear in terms of player development in esports. And so they actually, they actually run an esports school in Seoul, Korea. Uh, and it's truly a remarkable facility. I've been there. Um, you know, and, and they are developing kind of a, a balanced attack to, you know, to edu- they educate, they, they have education, they have, you know, obviously esports um, development. And so we, we thought they brought a really unique kind of skill set to the NBA 2K League. And so uh, and, and one of the things they actually are helping us do is identify 2K players in China to kind of help bring the league and, and continue to grow the league. Yeah. So there are a couple of things I wonder about sort of uh, somebody who's got a potentially promising career in esports. So I I remember very distinctly, we were stuck at the Dallas airport for three or four hours uh, after we were teaching a seminar, but my roommate and I, and we just happened to walk by this section was like, wait a minute, they have a whole video game section here. And we walk (laughs) up to the guy, we're like, do you guys have NBA 2K? We have three hours. And he's like, yeah, of course we have 2K. So we <laughs> literally paid 40 bucks to play a game that like we had at home uh, for a couple of hours. But he had started telling us about the fact that now esports is leading to people getting college scholarships, you know, and, and all sorts of things. So <clears throat> there are two questions I have about this. Um, and typically, like when you look at a lot of the NBA athletes uh, or you know, for that matter, many of the professional sports like the NFL, a lot of these people come from fairly underprivileged backgrounds, right? Tough neighborhoods, um, poor families. And that is often the path out of poverty for so many of them. But when you're talking about something like esports, an Xbox is not a cheap purchase for the average person. Um, you know, a copy of 2K at this point is about $100. Uh, I only know this because I remember thinking, I was like, you know, the target market for video games is not really kids, it's people my age because for us, $100 is not a big deal. Like we have the disposable income to, to spend video, spend on video games. So what role do you think that uh, privilege plays in the prospects of all these people? Um, I don't know. I, I actually, I don't think to many of our pros come from very challenging, you know, up upbringings. Um, and, and in many cases, very kind of, uh, you know, um, very like I would say very tough backgrounds in terms of like where they grew up and what they had access to. And I think um, 
you know, I, I, I think, you know, 2K, you know, you're right. A console, you know, is, is not inexpensive, but I, you know, I'm, I, I do think a lot of players, you know, maybe share, you know, share them early on as kids. Um, mm. I, I think 2K does a pretty good job of, you know, making, you know, you know even last year, I think, they, you know, they had the game available for a much lower cost, you know, uh, you know kind of in the latter part of the, of the NBA season. Um, so, I, you know, I think it's, you know, you have to be creative to kind of try to find the right deal, I guess. But I, I you know, I will say like our we do not see privilege being an advantage. Um, at least our, our league makeup, it's, that's not been the case. Okay, cool. Um, so out of morbid curiosity, uh, this is for my own personal reasons. Can you give me any suggestions on how to put an end to this like 15 game losing streak that I've been on? <laughs> I don't What's, what's the breakdown? I mean, are you, are you, are you giving up too many threes? Are you, are you breaking down on defense, not getting boards? Like, I, well, I, I think I'm, I would probably say I'm not passing enough and I'm probably shooting way too many threes. <laughs> yeah, right. Well, listen, that, that sounds like a problem. I mean, you may have to get into the, uh, you know, get, get, get a little practice in on your, on your, on your three ball uh, or, or, <laughs> or maybe change the sliders when, when he's not looking. So, you know, they're easier to make. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, so, I mean, you mentioned that you, you had sold a team. I mean, so I, th- this is, you know, back to that idea, like is, you know, for somebody who's aspiring to own a sports team, as as crazy as that might sound, because most of us are not, you know, Mark Cuban, you know, with enough money to buy the Mavericks, are esports teams going to be something that we start to see over and over? And like, what is happening on sort of the you know, college recruiting path? Like, do you guys recruit from college? And, and is, what's happening in terms of uh, opportunities that are being created outside of just playing the game? Uh, what kinds of opportunities ha- has this created for people who play? So kind of a little bit similar to my point on, on player development. I, I still think esports. it's such early days that everyone's trying to figure out what their place is in esports, And so I, I think it's going to, it's going to continue to become a more prominent recruiting tool for colleges. I think, you know, you're going to you're going to, you know, you already are starting to see it, but seeing you know, kind of college programs develop as, you know, as kind of a tool to recruit students because I will say, I mean, like the generally speaking, you know, esports um, enthusiasts are very tech savvy. They're very, you know, they generally are high IQ. Um, so it's it's actually it's it's an interesting audience for colleges to get in front of. And so I, I think you're going to continue to see that develop. And then, and I even say we're trying to figure this out right now is, it, you know, we're trying to put a little more a little more structure around just the grassroots competitive scene, because in order for us to be successful, it's not enough for us to have the top 138 players in the world. You know, we, we have to continue to, to develop that next part of the, and the, frankly, the wider part of the funnel, which is the, you know, over 2 million players that are literally playing the game like yourself, probably 2 million players playing every day that are, are super competitive, but maybe they're not good enough to be in that 138. Um, but as we grow, like we want to make sure like that is a big part of our audience. And so we want to make that group feel connected to the 2K League and have a reason to watch it. And so that's mm. that's really a, a big, a big area of focus for us is trying to figure out, you know, just how do we appeal to that that next tier of competitive of, of the competitive scene? And so. Um, so, yeah, I, I think I, I think your point on colleges, I think we're seeing high schools also now. I was going to ask you about that. That was my next question is, is this starting to make its way into primary education? 
It definitely is. And, and I think some of it is also trying to figure out what's the right entry point for a school. And, and I said, I will say like 2K, we're very lucky in that, um, listen, 2K is, it's rated E for everyone. Um, you know, it, it's, you know, it's, it's not as controversial a choice um, as some other games might be for, especially for a high school. Um, mm-hmm. So I do think you're going to see 2K's kind of grassroots community continue to grow as esports grows. And then the other really, I mean, I would call this a significant advantage is because in 2K and the NBA 2K game is going to be the best basketball game in esports. Um, and, and, and it's going to be for a long time because, you know, you just, you know, obviously given the fact that we, you know, um, it's, it's, it is the best game. And so as opposed to, you know, some of the other games out there, it's a very competitive marketplace and, and, to, mm-hmm. and, to, and to maintain your status as the game to play, you know, kudos to the games that are, that are on top right now, but they they always have kind of other, you know, game developers kind of, you know, creating the, what, what the what's next. I mean, you know, Fortnite really, you know, was kind of come on the scene the last, you know, couple of years, um, you know, but it, it was a minute ago that PUBG was, PUBG was dominating that space. And then Fortnite came along and it's been incredibly successful at building an audience. Mm, wow. Well, so, you know, the, the thing that uh, I had noticed, and I think I'd mentioned this to you, is that I've been playing this game for 20 years and I couldn't believe that when I sat down and looked at it. I was like, wait a minute, I have played this game since 2K1. And my, my friend Ryan Holiday, whose work you might be familiar with, written a bunch of different books, all of which are New York Times bestsellers. He wrote this book called Perennial Seller, which is about how to make something that is timeless and something that lasts. And, you know, I know, like you said, when you think of, you know, a basketball video game, 2K is the first thing that anybody defaults to. What do you think it is that has led to that kind of uh, dominance, the sort of perennial seller nature of 2K? And what do you think creative people can take away from that? I would say for 2K, um, it's to their credit is like, you know, there's not many games that come out with an annual version of the game. And, and so, uh, you know, most, m- most times there's, there's a couple of years of kind of, you know, of breathing room in between releases. And so to their credit, I mean, the 2K development team, like they are, they have an insatiable appetite to continue to improve the game and whether, you know, it, and they've, you know, even the last couple of years, the way in which they added, you know, they added the neighborhood and the whole neighborhood experience and like, you know, and, and having different modes of the game to play, if you want to go play in the park, if you want to play team up, you want to play pro-am, like there's so many different modes of the game to, you know, and it's the whole, I would say for marketers in general, it's the entire movement towards direct to consumer and really allowing the consumer to dictate their experience. And they want it to be customized. They want it to be personal. And I think 2K has done a brilliant job over the last several years of doing exactly that, uh, of really customizing what the, the player wants um, and, and so I think that's really been one of the, and I will say like, it's, it's one of the reasons why like the, there, it's not only a great selling game, it's also a game that has incredible engagement numbers. I mean, a lot mm-hmm. of these players are playing 30 plus hours a week and you don't, that, <laughs> that doesn't happen unless you are creating something that's engaging enough. Yeah, well, uh, it's funny you say that because I think I'd be horrified if I actually looked at how many hours we play every week. So, it, <laughs> you know, there's we have three, the three of us that live together, two of us play it, and our other roommate hates the fact that we play this game so damn much. <laughs> That's awesome. No, it, it, it's true. And, and then, um, 
you know, the, the other point I was going to make, and I didn't touch on earlier, which you were, you were, you were kind of talking about, and I think I might have gone off on a different tangent is you mentioned kind of, you know, the, the, um, the value of, 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 of esports and how it's changing kind of the educational experience. The one biggest, I would say the biggest surprise I've had of the 2K League is that, listen, certainly we've identified the best 138 players in the world. They're incredible and, 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 you know, and they are amazing at what they do. But we've created, you know, probably at least that number, if not more, of jobs connected to the 2K League. And so um, whether you are, you know, a, 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 you know, a, a, you know, what traditional sports calls announcers, we call casters. So if you're doing play-by-play or color commentary, you're doing sideline reporting. You know, we have an entire broadcast team. You know, we have wow. content content creators. We have you know media. There's obviously sponsor and all the and then all the traditional jobs of sponsorship, sales, you know, marketing, you know, community development, etc. So I will say that like I think we're Esports, I find esports very exciting for someone who's been in the sports industry for you know over two decades. What I find exciting about esports is that it's it's truly creating a whole new branch of the business that's creating a ton of jobs. Yeah. Um, well, I, I before we hit record, you had told me that uh, you had known Scott for twenty years, and the story of how you met was actually cool. So, how did you guys meet? Yeah. So my, my first, uh, so I was an intern for the Boston Celtics after I graduated Boston College. I interned for the Celtics, got a job in, in, in uh, um, and then they helped me get a job with the Detroit Pistons and Palace Sports, um, uh, you know, right out, right out of, uh, right, right after, soon after I graduated college. And so I was selling for the Pistons and I was, you know, one of probably, I mean, it, was a, it was a massive sales organization, probably 60 sellers. And so Scott, um, he actually was, uh, was in, the, in a group called Team Marketing and Business Operations, which is a kind of a McKinsey style, um, you know, consulting group for the NBA that David Stern started, and uh, and it was you know to help the teams with you know sharing best practices and and being effective off the court, and so Scott was essentially the Pistons representative, so he would come into market and visit, and so I was just a, a generic seller, and so normally I would not get the opportunity. Generally, a, you know, someone like Scott would come in and he'd meet with all the senior executives, and so. For some, you know, he he and I actually, you know, we played hoops uh, in the morning. He, you know, he would try to organize a basketball game when he came to town, and so we actually got to we, we we competed against each other, we guarded each other, kind of playing hoops before before the the workday began. And then he you know, he agreed to, to give me a half hour and meet with me, and so that really started. Like from that point, he kind of helped connect me. I took a job with the Milwaukee Bucks, and then eventually, you know, in New Orleans with, with then the Hornets, and then. Um, uh, he, I became very uh, connected to that Timbo operation, and then ironically, uh, you know, um, I actually took it. I left the team side of the business after 12 years when I was with the Atlanta Hawks and Thrashers in Atlanta. I actually, ironically, took a job in Timbo in the NBA league office. You know, I you know called probably it was 10 years after I met Scott. Wow. Wow. Um, I feel like I could talk to you about this for hours on end, but that's only because I'm obsessed with this game. Probably not as much as my, you know, I doubt my listeners are as obsessed with it as I am. Uh, <laughs> so I have one final question for you, which is how we finish all of our interviews, the unmistakable creative. What do you think it is that makes somebody or something unmistakable? What's the last questions on, I mean, you, you stumped me. Yeah. What do you think it is that makes somebody or something unmistakable? 
I think it's legacy. Um, I think it's, it's the impact you have on the people around you. Um, you know, and, and, and I, and I hope that my team or my, or people I, I've worked with and, and, and managed over the years, um, one thing, and, and frankly, I actually may have got this a little bit from Scott and, and learning from him and other mentors I've had over the years is the, you know, um, I am very, uh, obsessed with talent and the development of talent. And I, and, and listen, I will be very, I will be very constructively critical of my team, but I think I get a lot of latitude with them because they know I care about them. I mean, I, I genuinely love my team and they know it. And so as a result, I think they know that like I'm, I'm coming from a good place and, and they can trust me and they know that I'm just trying to help them get better and make a bigger impact and think bigger. And so um, I would say like, you know, it's, it's a, uh, if you're not constructively helping your team, your team grow, you're, you know, you, you know, you're not, you're not giving them your best. And, and so I, I would say like, that's a, that's a pretty, that's a pretty big trait, I think of, uh, of leaders, you know, that I think they should make sure they, they, uh, they, you know, they stay true to themselves, but they make sure that they're helping their, their team get better. Mm. Wow. Um, well, this has been amazing and fascinating and funny uh, and insightful all at the same time. Uh, I can't thank you enough for taking the time to join us and share your story and your wisdom and insights with our listeners. Where can people find out more about you, uh, your work, and everything else that you're up to? Uh, listen, I mean, I, I mean obviously, our, our NBA2KLeague.com uh, is our website, but I would say that, you know, I'm, uh, I am very active on Twitter. Um, I, I, I am t- uh, 2KLeagueMD. Uh, on Twitter. Um, and so, so feel free to follow me there. And, um, you know, I, uh, you know, I'll, I'll try, I'll try, I'll try to put some, uh, some, some thought into, into, uh, you know, maybe some nuggets of wisdom. I, I, I will say I now follow you. So I, I'm looking forward to, <laughs> to, to, to seeing what else, uh, I, I listened to Scott's interview. I want to listen to some of the, some of the others you've been had on your podcast. Awesome. And for everybody listening, we will wrap the show with that. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Unmistakable Creative Podcast. While you were listening, were there any moments you found fascinating, inspiring, instructive, maybe even heartwarming? Can you think of anyone, a friend or a family member who would appreciate this moment? If so, take a second and share today's episode with that one person because good ideas and messages are meant to be shared. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. 
Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Have you ever felt a twinge of worry about AI taking over your job or diluting your creativity? Well, what if you could turn that fear into creative fuel? We've just published an amazing new ebook called The Four Keys to Success in an AI World. And this is more than just a guide. It's a deep exploration into the human skills that AI can't touch, the skills that are essential for standing out and thriving, no matter how much technology evolved. We're talking about real differentiators here, like creativity, emotional intelligence, critical thinking, and much more. Inside, you'll find actionable insights and strategies to develop these skills, whether you're a creative person, a business person, or just simply someone who loves personal development. This isn't a story about tech taking over. It's a story of human creativity thriving alongside AI. Picture this AI as your creative co-pilot, not just as a tool, but a collaborator that enhances your unique human skills. The Four Keys ebook will show you exactly how to do that and view AI in a new way that empowers you instead of overshadows you. Transform your creative potential today. Head over to unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys. Use the number four, K-E-Y-S. That's unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys and download your free copy.